such a gift to gather. If you're with us online, we love you. I also want to give a shout out to our new 11.30 a.m. gathering. We love you guys in the future. We'll be seeing you here in just a little bit. Um, hey, if you're brand new to ACF, we're just honored that you're here this morning. Um, if you're just taking your first step or your next step with Jesus, uh, this is a place that we talk a lot about that, that everybody has a next step to take. And we say this, you don't have to believe to belong at ACF. And all that means is that wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, that this is a community for you. That uh, everyone uh, from, from kind of like checking out church to learning about Christianity to somebody who's been in the church for 20, 30, 50 years, this is a community where I believe that you have a next step to take. Also, we're celebrating today. We have baptism week today. Really excited about that. So we've been able to baptize some people already uh, over the course of this week. And uh, just want to encourage you here today. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have never been baptized, this is your moment. This is the day. And so we've been praying for you. And, and I just want to encourage you uh, to take really this next step. And as we read the scriptures, what we see is that the first step of obedience for every believer is to get baptized. And maybe you're like, Brian, I've been a Christian for 30 years, never got baptized. Then as we always say, there's no time like the present to be obedient to God, right? And so I want to encourage you to do that. And, and it, maybe, maybe there's some confusion. I think sometimes maybe uh, we don't really understand what it means to become a Christian or what it means to be saved. But what you need to know today is that um, when you get saved, you also get a Lord, so, so God isn't just your Savior. He also wants to be the Lord of your life. And in fact, Jesus, when he says, come to me, uh, and he invites the disciples to follow him, he says, I want, you to, I want you to pick up your own cross and follow me. In other words, there's going to be some crucifixion involved. There's going to be some death involved so that you can follow God. In other words, you're going to have to give up some stuff. Sometimes it's just your pride or your fear so that you can follow me faithfully. And here's the deal. Like, if you're not going to follow Jesus into the water, will you follow him to a cross? And so that, that's really the, it's, I think for a lot of people, their faith is really struggling. They're like, man, it doesn't feel real in my life because you, all you've had is an internal faith. So it's, it's just a faith for you, and it's just something that's focused on yourself, and maybe it happens behind closed doors, uh, just kind of in the private of your own home. But here's the deal. Like, as you start to follow Jesus faithfully, your faith will come alive. Like, as you take a step of faith, and so I want to encourage you today, not for me, not for anybody else, but for you, if you have never been baptized, we have everything you need. And so uh, as we stand in worship at the end of the message here, I want to encourage you to go back out to the lobby. There'll be some people standing around with some lanyards on, and they will have everything you need to get baptized. If you're watching online and you never got baptized, get in your car right now, and we'll baptize you in just a few minutes. So just calling you out. I don't know who that's for today, but that might be for someone. Would you stand in honor of God's word uh, as we read it here today? If you're with us online, you can stand at your desk. If you're driving, just focus on the road. So this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ. And would you read these last words with me? By grace you have been saved. Amen. This is God's word. Would you take a seat as we continue forward? 
So we are in the second week of a series called Paradigm Shift, and we're talking about the Bible, um, which some of you are like, well, duh. But no, we're actually talking about what it means to understand the Word of God. Statistics are pretty clear um, that most Christians don't actually read their Bibles consistently. And in fact, only one in five Christians have actually read the whole Bible, which uh, should challenge us if we would say, in this book is the truth. And this is the truth that leads me to salvation. And ultimately, I am basing my eternity on what's in this book, and I've never read it. If that's the case, then there's some growth to happen, right? If, there, if that's the case, then, then we want to take some steps forward. And, and what we're saying in this series is that we need to shift the way we think about the Bible. We need a paradigm shift. We need to kind of remove some of the ways that we've seen the Bible that doesn't actually align with what it is. And when we, when we understand the Bible for what it is, I think we'll be drawn to it. I think we'll want to read it more. I think, you know, you'll dig it out of your trunk of your car or find it, you know, somewhere in the bookshelf. And you'll want to start reading it because you understand the purpose of it. And so that's what this series is all about. And we want to, we want to move beyond some of the ways that, that uh, we've read the Bible. Like sometimes we read the Bible and ask, what does this mean to me? And last week we said, we don't want to just ask the Bible, what does this mean to me? We want to ask, what, is, what does this mean for me? Does that make sense? In other words, this isn't about my opinion. We live in a culture where it's just all about my consensus and my opinion, and we don't want to bring our opinions to the Bible. We want God's opinions for our lives. And so we don't want to just ask what it means to me. We want to ask what it means for me, and we want to see it for what it is. And today I want to tackle this question, what actually is the Bible? What is it? Because I think for us to to understand it, we need to know what it is actually is. Now, I want, to, I want you to think, if you're a church person, grew up in a Christian home, um, I want you to remember the moment that you got your first Bible. Do you remember that moment? Uh, I still can remember. I was a kid. Um, I think I was like maybe eight or nine years old, and it was at Christmas. Parents, why do, you, why do we do this, right? Like, like, as a kid, I'll be honest, I know like I'm supposed to be excited about getting a Bible under the Christmas tree. Wasn't super stoked, right? So I remember opening it up and being like, what is this? Oh, it's not a Nintendo, right? It's a Bible. Yay. Thank you, mom and dad. And I had my name on the front and it was in wrapped in imitation leather like it is, you know. And uh, I just, I remember being so overwhelmed by it, right? Because at that point in my life, I think the biggest book I had read was the Bernstein Bears. Any Bernstein Bears fans in the room? Still read them? Love them? Yep. Yep. Uh, You know, and you open this book and you're like, it has 750,000 pages. How will I ever begin to understand this? And the thing is, I don't think we grow out of that. I think as adults, we still open the Bible, and it's intimidating sometimes. We don't really know what to do with it. And, and I think that's a lot of the reason that we don't read it, is because we don't know where to begin. We're not sure what it is. And so we just sort of ask the pastor to explain it to us. And I just, I promise you, there is enough going on in your life that you need so much more than an hour on Sunday morning worth of God's Word in your life. I promise you that. We, and we know that, but will we take the next step? And so uh, the first thing I want to talk about what the Bible is not is that the Bible is not a self-help book. Still to this day, uh, some of those popular books that are sold are self-help books. Because the truth is, in this room, even if you're not a, a follower of Jesus or a Christian at this point yet, what I know about everybody in the room, everybody online, is that we all want our lives to get better. Would we agree? Nod your head if you agree. Okay, just a little participation. If you want your life to get better, uh, you go to some self-help books and you try to figure out, now what do I need to change? How do I change my life so that it can get better? But I say this all the time that the problem with self-help is that myself is the problem. And so it doesn't work. 
The problem with self-help is that myself is the problem. Uh, the truth is, in all of the worst decisions in my life, do you know who was there? I was, right? I was involved with every poor decision in my entire life. I was there. And I'm still involved with every poor decision in my life. And so self-help does not work because myself is the problem. And if you see the Bible as just a self-help book, what you're going to start to see it as is a bunch of rules to follow to make my life better. Now, at at a baseline, what we know is this, as we just talked a second ago, is that following Jesus doesn't necessarily make your life easier. In fact, most likely it's going to make it harder if you're actually following him faithfully. Because what do we know Jesus did? He, he went to a cross, right? He, he ended up dying for who he was. And so again, there's, there's, a, there's a death for all of us if we're going to choose to be faithful to Jesus. It's going to be hard to do that. But we tend to want to go to the book and we go, okay, just give me some rules so that I can win at life. Like if you look on Google right now, 10 ways to win at life, you'll find all kinds of articles because that's what we all want to do is just figure out how we can win at life. So we go to the Bible. It's just like a book of rules, It's just a book of rules. Now, who here today, raise your hand, if you are a natural rule follower. Be honest in the room. You can lift somebody else's arm if you want, like if they're lying in church today. Like, who is a rule follower? That's not me, by the way. It's just not my personality. Um, Some of you are not. And there's nothing wrong with being a rule follower. But what can happen is that we can approach the Word of God or our relationship with God in that way, and it becomes disconnected from the relationship that we're intended to have. And I have a friend that says it this way all the time. I I think this really is true, that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Uh, Any parents in the room, when your child asks, why do I have to do that? Have you ever answered with these words? Because I said so. You were saying it with me. Wow. Okay, so isn't it funny how you just turn into your parents? I don't know. I just turned 40 this week, so my life is downhill from here. But... We just turn into our parents. That's how life goes sometimes. But we, we say this like, do it because I cleaned your room. Why? Because I said so, right? Wash your dishes. Why? Because I said so. And, and it's really as a parent, you're just like, I don't have time for this. I don't want to deal with this. You just do what I tell you to do. And then if you get them to do it, you feel like a success, right? Like as a parent, you're like, if I can just get them to, to do what I tell them to do, then I'm a success. But those of you who have raised children into high school and into college, you guys would give advice to the younger parents and say, no, they can follow the rules and still end up in rebellion. In fact, if as a parent all you are is about following the rules, you will actually increase the chances of rebellion. And the same is true of a Christianity that is based on some kind of biblical rule book is that rules without relationship will lead to rebellion in our lives. And so we need to break this self-help mindset. And I think, honestly, even deeper, what this self-help mindset does is it distorts who God is in our minds. The self-help mindset comes from this idea that God does not love me for who I am. He loves me for who I could be. <laughs> I've literally heard ladies say this about guys they were dating before. Single ladies, like, I just want you to know you're on thin ice with the relationship. If you're like, I don't really love him for who he is, but I love him for who he could be, right? Like, not a great way to start a relationship. And I think sometimes we apply this to God. And we go, maybe God doesn't love me for who I am. He loves me for who I could be. But that's not the reality. Is that God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He invites us into the family before we fix anything in our lives or before he fixes anything in our lives. And then the, the, the transformation begins. 
Then the journey begins to submit ourselves to God and for him to, to draw holiness out of our lives. But, but, but he loves us right where we at for, we're at for who we are in that moment. So Jesus, he shows up to a culture where these religious leaders were all about the rules. And in their minds, they were following all the rules to the T. So they felt kind of high and mighty, like, look at me. My life is, is perfect. Look at me. I'm following the law just like I'm supposed to. But Jesus has a word for them. Matthew 5, 21, he says, You have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Right? So for some of you, you're like, well, I just follow the Ten Commandments. So that's how I know I'm a Christian, right? That's how I know I'm going to get to heaven some days. I, I, I just follow the Ten Commandments. He goes, well... And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You could have heard a pin drop. They're like, wait, 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 wait. You're saying that like if I'm just angry, I've undealt with anger in my heart, it's like I've murdered my brother. Jesus is like, yeah, how you doing with that? Right? You following the rules? Huh? Success in your life? And then he moves forward in Matthew 5, 27. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Married people don't commit adultery, right? And you're, you're in the room, maybe, maybe you're like, okay, check, right? Haven't committed adultery, that's fine. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, the law was never just about keeping people from murdering or people, keeping people from committing adultery. The law was intended to show us how desperately we are in need of the grace of God. It was a journey that people were supposed to go on to understand, like, man, God demands holiness from us. He says, be holy as I am holy. Just not murdering isn't enough. He's like, hey, if you have anger in your heart, you're walking in sin. And again, in the group that was listening to this, they would have been challenged by this reality because they thought they were following the rules. They thought that the Bible was just a self-help book, and now they were all better. But if you want to write this down, I believe that the Bible isn't about self-help. The Bible is about God's help. Amen? Like it's about getting God's help, not just fixing our own lives, right? Holiness. Hear me on this. Holiness is not attainable without God. You can't do it. And even in your best efforts on your best day, your intentions will be twisted in one way or another. And in the end, it's salvation by grace alone. And this is the theme that we started off with, and that's going to be a thread of the whole text today and the whole message today is that it is salvation by grace alone, even in my good deeds. I just think of my own life. I think of the good things I try to do that I do for the wrong reasons. I do them so I'll feel better. Like very rarely am I doing even the right thing for the right reasons. Because normally my motivations are twisted in one way or another. And so the Bible is not about self-help. The Bible is about God's help. Next thing is this. The Bible isn't for good people. And you're like, wait a minute. Um, but this is important. Is that the Bible isn't for good people. Um, when you think of somebody carrying a Bible, maybe you see somebody in the park and they're reading a Bible or somebody at school who's walking through the halls with a Bible, somebody at work who has a Bible. What do you think in your mind about that person? Normally what we think is, that's probably a good person, right? Or maybe you judge them and you're like, what you're trying to sh- like, like show off how spiritual you are, just carrying around your Bible. We tend to think of people who read the Bible as good people, right? But the Bible is not a symbol of self-righteousness. It's actually a symbol of unrighteousness in need of grace. That's what the Bible is. Like, people who are, are good people, naturally, just like, which, again, like, we got to understand what that word means. But people who are like, I'm a good person, don't need the Bible. Because you think you're already a good person. 
But here's the key, and you've got to understand this, is that throughout the biblical narrative, when we read the Bible, we're always trying to figure out who the good people are, who the bad people are. But the truth is, in the Bible, there is only one good character, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the only good person in the Scriptures. And I think we do this with people in our lives, too. We look at people and we go, oh, that's a good person, that's a bad person. That's a good character, that's a bad character. And what we can tend to do, if we think the Bible is just for good people, is we'll tend to exclude the people who need it most. We'll tend to exclude the people who might potentially be willing to, to, to come to the Word of God and seek uh, repentance and restoration from God because they realize that they need some grace. And we, we judge people based on things. We use the Bible against people, right? So we're like, oh, that person, um, their language is terrible at work, right? Did you hear how many F-bombs they dropped, right, when the printer stopped working? Like, clearly, that's not the kind of person that, you know, needs a Bible. Like, there needs to be in church. Like, that's somebody who should be on the outside. But here's the deal. I don't know if you know this, but Ephesians 4.29 says that we should only use our words to build people up. And if you're casting judgment on somebody else, here's my question for you. Have you used your words to tear anybody down in the past few weeks? To which we all say, yep, busted, right? Guilty as charged. And so, again, we all stand equally in need of grace. Maybe you look at somebody and you're like, oh, they're uh, on that side of the political line, right? We're starting to see politics ramping up this season, and, and they're on that side of the political line. But Isaiah talks about how there's this government of God, that, that earthly governments will rise and fall, but God's gov government will stand forever. And so this isn't about this political line or that political line, but this is about coming underneath the authority and the government of God, right? Maybe you're here and you're like, oh, um, she's got lots of tattoos, right? Like lots of tattoos. And that seems a little questionable, but here's the deal. Like I read Revelation and it shows Jesus coming back with a tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I don't know. Like maybe that person is just a little more like Jesus than you are. So you just need to think about it and work through it and go like, should I use the Bible as a tool to exclude the people that need it, right? And again, we all need it. Whether it's the self-righteous person or the person that, that really knows that they need grace, we all need grace. And so we never want to use the Word of God to keep people out because if you were to use the Bible to exclude sinful people from the saving grace of Jesus, you would have to exclude yourself first. We'd have to start with ourselves. So as you read the Word of God, what you should just think to yourself is, man, I want everybody to hear this. I want my friends to hear this. I, I, want, I want somebody that I would tend to judge to hear this. I want somebody that's on the other side of the political line to hear this. I want somebody who looks different than me to hear this because it is such good news for me that I want it for them. And what I'm seeing in the church today is, is that when we use the Bible as something that we think is just for good people, we'll tend to write off the truth of God that comes through people that are broken. And, and this happens all the time where maybe we'll get some advice from somebody. Somebody's trying to speak truth into our lives, but we're like, well, you're a sinner too. And so we tend to write off that truth because of that person and miss out on what God might say to us. And here's what I believe strongly, is that all truth is God's truth. If you hear something true, it's God's truth. He invented it. In fact, this whole world is God's. That, that although we see the enemy roaming around like a, like a roaring lion trying to, to, to tempt people and, and pull them away from the kingdom of God, we also see that God has authority over the entire earth. And that the enemy, although he, he walks around like a roaring lion, he's on a leash, right? God's got him on a leash. And so God owns every square inch of 
the world, and it's all his. And so as God's people, we want to see those square inches redeemed, right? We want to see God heal people and, and move in people, but we don't want to write off the truth just because it comes from a broken person. And, and where this leads people sometimes is to walk away from the church because they find out that, the, that, that their church had a pastor who had sin in his life. And they, they oh man, that, that pastor's broken, so I'm going to walk away from Christianity. I'm going to walk away from the church. But here's, man, I just hope that the truth of God is not grounded in me, that it's grounded in Jesus. Like the worst thing you can do is go, uh, my faith is built on Brian. That is a shaky faith. Can I just tell you that? And, and so I'll be the first to admit, I am Brian, I am a pastor, and I have sin in my life, okay? And, and, and that's not an excuse to sin, and that's not saying that I'm allowed to sin, but that's just saying, like, I am a human being who says the wrong thing to my wife sometimes, who raises my voice to my kids when they're driving me crazy sometimes. Like, I am a human being. And so if you build your faith on another human being, you will always be disappointed, but if you build your faith on Jesus, he will never fail you. And this is so important that you understand this. And, and it, again, the truth of God is owned by God no matter where it comes from. Sometimes people will email me and they'll be like, hey, we shouldn't sing that worship song. Because it was written by somebody who was in a church that there was a scandal at that church. Or that church has some theology that's, that's off. But here's the deal. If it's theologically sound and it's enjoyable to sing as a church, we're probably going to sing it. And I always, when those people uh, send me an email or, or catch me about those things, I'm always like, have you ever sang the Psalms? Because do you know who wrote the Psalms? Who wrote the Psalms? David, right? Do you know anything about David's life? He was perfect, right? No, he's an adulterer, right? He was a murderer, and he wrote the Psalms, and we sing those. But again, we, we just pick and choose because we're, a, you know, a cancel culture, loves to write people off. And we love to miss out on the truth because it came from broken people when, once again, all truth is God's truth. And we want to make sure we come back to the Word of God and seek it for what it is. We realize that it's not for good people. And it doesn't come out of the lips of good people's mouths, right? Like, apart from Jesus, I, you need to know this, I am not a good person. Apart from Jesus, I am a person in need of desperate, desperate grace no matter what. And so we want to know this, that the Bible isn't for good people. It's for people who need Jesus. So when you, when you carry this around, if, it, maybe some of you are afraid to carry around your Bible. So that's why you put it on your phone because you're like, nobody's going to judge me. But again, when you carry this around, understand this. You're not carrying it around as a symbol of your own righteousness, but a symbol of the righteousness of Christ in your life. And it's an opportunity to share that with someone else. The next thing is this. The Bible isn't just for inspiration. How many times have you picked up a Bible because, you know, like it's going to be a long day and you're like, dear Lord, give me a word for today, right? And so we open it just looking for a little bit of a pick-me-up. We just want to feel better. Or maybe you're struggling and you're like, okay, I just need a little bit of inspiration. So here's my caveat. The Bible can be very inspiring. And sometimes I will open the Word of God and be like, yes, I am ready to go tackle the world because of what I just read. But many times when I read the Bible, I just get convicted. And again, that's why some of you don't read it, is because it's convicting. And again, when we see the Bible just for inspiration, what we're going to end up in is manipulation. If you just want the Bible to inspire you, you will not read it for what it is. You will manipulate it to, <laughs> to say all kinds of things. And we have all done this. And I just did a little quick search of like Pinterest signs that people hang in their houses. And again, this is just natural for us to take these scriptures like Jeremiah 29, 11. This is a fun one. 
For I know the plans I have for you. Some of you can say this because it's above your sink, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm. I feel like I need a southern preacher like in my voice, like plans to give you a future and a hope, right? So, so like, it's the best I can do. I'm sorry. Jeremiah 29, 11. Like, and maybe you've got a senior that's graduating, and when you, when you write the little card for them, you write, you know, like, love you, Jeremiah 29, 11. It, it sounds really great. Until you understand the context of this scripture, it's written to the Jews as they were in exile. And the hope for their future wasn't something that they would actually experience for 70 years. So when you sign this on their card, you're like, I hope you succeed in 70 years. (laughs) Good luck with that, right? I love this one, Philippians 4.13. This is one of my favorites. I can do all through Christ who strengthens me. Come on. That'll preach, right? And again, you're like, oh, give me some inspiration, Pastor. Like, yes, I like that. I can do all things through Christ. And I love the weights on it. That's the best part of this. I did a little Pinterest or or, uh, Instagram search on this one. And it was just like picture after picture of people trying to get jacked in the gym. Like (laughs) Philippians 4.13, Philippians 4.13, Philippians 4.13. But I'm telling you, like when you actually understand the context of this text, it's not about becoming your best self. The context of this particular verse talks about being content with not getting what you want. In other words, you can do all things. You can get through anything when you don't get jacked at the gym, right? When you don't get the promotion, when you don't get the job you wanted, when, 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 when that guy or girl that you asked out says no to you, like, like that's not a promise to those things. It's just saying like when those things go wrong, you can get through that through Christ. Not you can get what you want. Here's a common one, Matthew 19, 26. We like this one. With God, all things, needs an S there, right? They need a spell check on Pinterest. All things are possible. It's just terrible. With God, all things are possible. I mean, again, this is a great, this is a great text. Is it not true that all things are possible with God? Is God all-powerful? Yes, Is he all-knowing? Is he all-loving? Can he do whatever God wants to do? Yeah, absolutely. At any moment, that is absolutely true. But the context of this text is that the disciples are talking to Jesus, and they're like, how can anybody be saved? Because there's this rich guy that just walked by who's living this upright and righteous-looking life. He's following the rule book to a T, and he says, hey, teacher, I'm pretty awesome. What do I have to do to be saved? And, And Jesus says, hey, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you can be saved. Remember what he did? He walked away sad, right? Because he wasn't willing to do that. And the disciples, they're like, then what, like who could possibly be saved? If that guy, the rule follower can't be saved, who could be saved? Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. So this verse is about your salvation, right? That your salvation, again, comes through God alone, not your ability to follow the rules Inspiration isn't bad, but we will fall into manipulation if that's our goal with the Scripture. 2 Peter 1.20 says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, the guys that wrote the Bible didn't just make it up. They didn't just sit down. It was inspired by God. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So why do we give the Bible authority? Because it is inspired by God. And this is saying that the scriptures are not personal opinion. 
which means that our interpretation of them should not be either. We don't just get to, again, apply our opinion to the scriptures. They are inspired by God. And so we, we, we humbly come to the text and say, God, what did you intend to say here? And instead of trying to get it to say what I want it to mean, I'm going to submit my life to it, no matter what. The Bible isn't just for inspiration. This is so important. It's for transformation. Don't miss this. When you open the Bible, the question you should be asking God is this. God, how do you want to change me? And so I want to ask you, when you open the Bible in the morning, in the evening, whenever you open the Bible, do you ask God, God, how do you want to change me? How do you want to transform me through this text? See, the thing about inspiration is it wears off, doesn't it? You'll, you'll need another hit of inspiration tomorrow, another hit of it later on today. It wears off. But when God transforms your mind, that can sustain you in life. That can get you through the difficult things. You need something better and deeper than a little bit of inspiration from God. You need to be transformed by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible intends to transform the way we think, which will transform the way we feel, which will transform the way we live, which will transform our city for the sake of the kingdom of God. Wants to transform us, wants to change us. And so we go to the text, we go, God, how do you want to correct me today? Include that in your morning Bible reading, right? Because like, that's what it says. Like When you read the Bible, it should tell you off. If you're reading it right, the Bible will tell you off. It will, and then it will also tell you what's true. It will correct you. It will transform you. And it will train you in righteousness. And don't miss this last part, so that you are equipped for something. So reading the Bible is like preparing us to go do what? It says every good work. So when you come to church and you read the Bible, the purpose of it is, is so that you might go and do every good work. In other words, there's a response to the, the scriptures that is a, a natural. If you're reading it right, you can't help but go respond to it. And so the good works are to go and share the good news with others. It's to go and serve others in the name of Jesus. It's why we're doing a trunk or treat today, right? You, maybe you're like, well, why, why would a church do that? And the, it's real simple. Again, like we believe that all ground is God's ground right? That God owns all things. And so we are a church that wants to see redemption in every part of the world. And so we do things like this for just, just for, for fun, giving out candy, have some fun during a time when people are doing things like that. And we get them on the church property. Maybe for some people, the first time they've ever stepped foot on this property, and they're going to enjoy what's happening here. And we're going to throw tons of candy at them. And they're going to see Christians enjoying life and having fun. Because I don't know if you know this, but when your friends think of Christianity, they don't think of lots of fun. Do you know that? Like they don't think, oh yeah, want to have a blast? You should become a Christian, you know? So, so it's our job to change that because we, we think Jesus lived the fullest life that, it, that could ever, ever have been lived. We think a life submitting to God is a full life, is, a, is an enjoyable life, and, and it's hard sometimes, but we can actually find joy in any situation through God. And so we want to be a part of those things. Like when you read the text today and you're like inspired by God and you're like, oh, I can't believe he loves me so much. Like despite who I am, you should just think to yourself, how do I go share that with others? You know, 
Like, like you should leave church today and go like, how do I become a part of Trunk or Treat? Like naturally, it should be the natural outflow of somebody who reads the scriptures because they're intended to transform us. Again, if you see the Bible as a rule book, you'll get religion. But if you see it as, a, as, a, as something that leads to grace, you're going to get transformation in your life. And I opened up with Ephesians chapter 2 for a reason because, listen, we keep coming to this reality that it's salvation by grace alone. And that you can't take the Bible as a way to, to move away from that. It should lead you toward God's grace, this reality that by grace you have been saved. It's a grand narrative of a sinful humanity being rescued by a loving God. And that is this book from beginning to end. And when you understand that this reality is seen throughout the whole Bible, you will be drawn into it. You'll start reading those obscure Old Testament books that you're like, I, I never saw the beauty in that, but now I do. And maybe you're here today and you're like, well, Brian, how could the whole Bible really be about grace? How could it really be about God rescuing humanity? Like some of you think, man, there's the God of the Old Testament and then there's the God of the New Testament. And the God of the Old Testament is mean and judgmental and the God of the New Testament is loving. But I, listen, you need to hear this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God. He has always been a God of grace. We see this in Genesis as God shows God his grace by entering into a relationship with a sinful man and making a covenant to bless the world through him, being Abraham. In Exodus, it shows God's grace by bringing his enslaved people out of Egyptian bondage. Leviticus shows God's grace by creating a sacrificial system for their sins. Numbers shows God's grace as he deals patiently with grumbling people in the wilderness and brings them into the border of the promised land. Deuteronomy shows God's grace in offering his people land, not because of them, but in spite of them. Joshua shows God's grace by giving victory that was beyond their ability. Judges shows God's grace in using broken and sinful Israelites as leaders and using them to cleanse the land of idolatry. Ruth shows God's grace as he brings this foreign and rejected woman into the royal lineage of Christ. First and second Samuel shows God's grace in choosing to give a throne to an adulterous murderer. How about the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John shows God's grace as God becomes one of us, flesh and blood, and dies willingly on a cross and rises again so that by grace through faith we have life abundantly. Acts shows God's grace as the good news spreads to the world and God gives us his Holy Spirit. Romans shows God's grace as he offers salvation to both Greek and Hebrew people. All are welcome to the table, the family of God. First and Second Corinthians shows God's grace with a better way to live in a progressive culture that's eating itself alive. Galatians shows God's grace in offering salvation through performance, uh, not through performance, but through the blood of Christ. Let's skip ahead. Hebrews shows God's grace as Jesus is both our brother and our high priest who intercedes for us. James shows God's grace by giving practical wisdom and how to make our faith work. First and second, Peter shows God's grace in showing us that our inheritance with God is secure no matter the challenges of life. First John shows God's grace through our adoption. Second and third John shows God's grace through reminding us of the truth that's inside of us. Jude shows God's grace by presenting us to God as blameless. And Revelation shows God's grace by triumphing over sin, sickness, death, death, disease, anger, and strife by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. It's all about the grace of Jesus. Years ago, um, a friend of mine gave me something called the Jesus Bible. And it was all about seeing Jesus in every chapter of the Bible. And if you start to understand the Bible for what it is, you'll start to see him. He's everywhere. Jesus is literally the Word made flesh. 
He is the Word of God made flesh. We see him in every part of the Bible. And this is so important that you get this because when you begin to see Jesus in every chapter of the Bible, you'll begin to see Jesus in every chapter of your life. And I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think just like about that moment where you are on your knees and you are crying out for God and you are feeling hopeless and you are feeling lost. And maybe you're here today and you're like, that's literally right now, Brian. I am so lost. Whatever that moment is, here's what you need to know is that Jesus was there. He was with you. And you say, well, why didn't he stop it? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know why suffering exists. All I know is that somehow through suffering and loss and pain in this world, the goodness and the grace and the glory of God are seen all more beautiful and all more powerful through those things. So I don't know why they exist. What I do know is that Jesus was there. So I don't know how you can take a next step today, what your next step is. I'd encourage you, would you pull out your action card here today? And this is something we do every week. It might be on your seat. You might be sitting on it. I don't know. But if you would just pull this out and you can tear this off the bottom. This kind of makes a fun noise. And we just do this every week. We drop this in the basket. And we want to text you that we're just praying for you this week. So we're not going to spam you. We just want to text you, hey, we're praying that you would be able to take your next step in this way this week. And we do pray for you um, when we get these in. And so I want to encourage you to do this. Maybe today you need to begin with a relationship with Jesus. Starting with that, going, okay, so if if it really is not just about a rule book, but it's about just coming to God and letting him accept me for where I'm at, I'm ready to receive that. And, and we believe that's where salvation begins. We believe that when you receive that love for the first time, that you step from death into life, from an eternity in, in hell separated from God to an eternity in heaven with him. And so I want you to take that next step. Maybe today you want to admit that you need God. I've been living sort of like you don't, acting like, like you're the better one in the story. Maybe today you're like, okay, man, like maybe there's no good person except for Christ. And maybe I just need to admit that I need him. Maybe today you need to begin by seeing God as the only good person and acknowledge that in your life, that there is sin in your life that God needs to root out. And maybe today you need help seeing that Jesus has always been there. You say, Brian, that sounds really good, but I didn't feel him in that moment and I don't feel him today. I want you to know if that's you today, that's okay. That's okay. All I want you to do is spend some time praying, maybe before bed tonight, saying, God, if you were there, help me to see your presence. God, if you were there, help me to to believe that. And I believe that he'll show you that he was there with you. And last, we have the tank full of water. It's like uh, 95 degrees. It's warm for you, so don't worry about that. And if you are here today and uh, God's touching your heart, saying, this is your moment. And then we've been praying for you and would love to see you get baptized. And as we stand in a moment, you can walk straight out to the lobby and there's some great people that would love to just help you take your next step. Would you stand? I want to pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much that you meet us where we're at. And thank you that this grand story is all about you. And as you read the Bible, it's a story of your grace. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for being there in those moments of hopelessness. Thank you that you are not a God that's unfamiliar with suffering. You are a suffering servant. You are familiar with the sorrows of this world. And you came to earth just to experience what we experience. And yet, God, you didn't just experience sin and suffering. God, you overcame it through the blood of the Lamb. 
the word of our testimony, God. We're, we're just want to share that with the world, God. And I just pray we, we wouldn't keep your grace to ourselves, that we'd be compelled to share with others. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.